good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Tonight we're turning to the Psalm 134, the last of the Songs of Degrees. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary, and bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. Amen. May God indeed bless this word to your hearts. In recent days, uh, well, I should say recent decades, worship has been the cause of much controversy and debate in the church. There are a couple of things I think we should note regarding the contemporary music phenomena. The desire seems to be to appeal to the senses of those who attend. I spent 25 to 30 minutes this morning going through YouTube and watching the the various most popular modern worship styles. The desire does seem to be a desire to appeal to the senses. There's an emphasis on the visual display, the lighting, the backdrop, the various colors, even the the dry ice and the smoke that may be used on the stage setting. The music leaders are dressed in a way that the young people who attend can identify with. The music itself has to be appealing to the modern tastes. The music itself is often uh, such that would not be out of place in in a secular nightclub or music concert. Thus, the aim is to worship God in a manner that is pleasing to the worshiper, entertaining them as they come to church. There is a desire, and I think in some cases, those who lead these worship groups would admit this. I think they would admit that they are seeking to appeal to the aesthetic tastes of the the worshiper. I don't think they would find that a, a challenging statement, by and large. Furthermore, the soundness or the quality of the worship, again, seems to be determined by the feelings of those attending. Was it a good worship meeting? And was it a beneficial one? Well, it seems to be the standard is it felt good to be in worship today. And I've heard those terms. I've heard those words come back from people who have, who have chosen to go into a more modern contemporary worship-based church. Now, I'm not denying when I say these things that there is a great spectrum in the modern church. I'm simply saying that the most popular forms are marked by these things. And again, you can come to me and say, well, it's not as bad in this place as it is in this place, and, and there's a great spectrum of diversity in the styles and in the, uh, perhaps the particular cultures that are used. But I don't think you can challenge what I've just said regarding those two issues. There's an appeal to the senses, and the soundness is determined by the feelings that are generated. I would say that these two things, they contain an element of truth. There is a degree of soundness in the debate and in the argument. We are not commanded anywhere to deliberately make worship distasteful to the senses. The music should not be bad. The building should not be unpleasant to look in. 
You know, we're not deliberately trying to make worship uncomfortable or unpleasant. And so it's not a massive step to say, well, God has given us music and given us senses, therefore it's not inappropriate to appeal to the senses of those who come to worship. I also believe very firmly that sound worship will stir the emotions of the worshiper. God does not expect us to be unemotional in our response when we meet together. God has given us a heart, a heart that will experience joy and contentment and grief, all those things that can be experienced in true biblical worship. Yet things today are certainly different than they were a few decades ago. People, and it's a cultural analysis, I suppose, people spend much, if not most, of their free time being entertained nowadays. Through entertainment, they relax. When you think about the modern entertainment scene, people engage by watching people perform in front of them. Whether it be sport, or television, or movies, or secular music, or the theater, or YouTube, all of those things are forms of relaxation whereby people are entertained by watching others perform in front of them. And as they relax in their free time, they then respond by experiencing emotions. Again, all of that is not sinful. Some of it, of course, is. But the entertainment model has drifted into the church. And people respond positively in an emotional way whenever they're entertained. That's where mankind is shut into in the Western world. Positive emotions are elicited when people are entertained. And herein lies the problem. Worship that is governed by the response of the worshiper must be entertaining. If it is to be popular today, I think that's a very fair assessment of modern world. If something is to be popular today, it must itself be entertaining. And if people are going to respond positively, then that element of entertainment must be in place. Now we come now to the climax of the Songs of Degrees. And clearly the theme is a theme of worship. The Psalter within the Psalter ends with a psalm that is, is dealing with the issue of worship. Behold, behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. These are words that are referring to the matter of worship. Indeed, it's been pointed out that the rest of the Psalter, Psalm 135 through to Psalm 150, they are psalms dominated by the theme of praise to the Lord. Again, you can read various views regarding the scenario here of this particular psalm, but it seems likely that the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem have arrived and they've worshipped God. They've traveled to enjoy the Feast of Praise, and as they leave, they're giving this parting word of encouragement to the Levites. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. And so they're encouraging the Levites to, to engage in the, in the worship of God. The Levites had the task of being in the Lord's house, offering the sacrifices, presenting the audible praise of singing presenting the incense on the altar. All of these elements of worship were conducted by the tribe of Levi. The people are really encouraging them, verses 1 and 2, to be faithful, be faithful. And then in response, 
Verse 3 relates the blessing the priests pray over the people. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. And again, we can debate whether that's the, the correct scenario or not, but it's the most generally held. Verse 1 and 2, the people are exhorting the priests. And verse 3, the priests in response then bless the people. Now, we are not tonight in the context of Old Testament ceremonial worship. So how do we apply these things to our own consciences tonight? Well, I think we simply should remind ourselves again that in the gospel we are all priests unto God. That is the obvious application. When you come into the New Testament, you, you see the promises that in, in the New Covenant there is no one single tribe that has the task of singing and praying and worshipping God, but rather the entire company have the blessed privilege of offering their praise unto God. We are all priests unto God. It is the, the truth again, the priesthood of all believers. We together pray. We together sing before the Lord. And thus the words, they are words of exhortation for us. And so I want to simply set out the things that we learn from worship in this brief psalm. And perhaps we can reflect, if our worship today is consistent with the word, so in light of what this psalm says, does this fit in with what we see to be true in modern, contemporary Christian music? Well, you have initially the people who worship. They're mentioned here. And again, I believe firmly that these are the Levites that are in view. They are called the servants of the Lord. I'm not going back to, to Exodus, but you will see that uh, these men, they were chosen of God. They were set apart by God. They are sanctified men, holy men. They were taken apart from the, the rest of the, the community to, to offer this work of worship of the Lord in the Lord's name. They were cleansed by the Lord. They were clothed by the Lord. They were given these special garments. You, you have all of those things contained in the book of Exodus. They're under the command of the Lord. They are the Lord's servants. The Lord is their master. They must worship as God commanded. You see the consequence to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 when they offer the strange fire, not commanded of God. What happens? The Lord, the Lord puts them to death. And these servants were to worship God in the manner that God had commanded as chosen men, called men, cleansed men, clothed men, under the command of God. This was the, the function of the tribe of Levi. And they are God's chosen servants who stand before the Lord. You have that reference, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Now this time I do want you to turn you back to, to Exodus 27. Again, in the, in the original language of the Hebrew, there is a picture that we perhaps will not rightly appreciate. There was instructions given to Moses for the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus well, so it was 25 and following, and we see it built later on in the book of Exodus. And in Exodus 27, you have some of the instructions regarding the court of the tabernacle. So there was the tabernacle proper, and there was the tent that had the coverings, it had the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. And then surrounding that inner tent, the tabernacle proper, there was the court. And the court, uh, the instructions for the court are given to us here in verse number 9. The court was made of these hangings of fine twined linen. And then verse 10 says, And the twenty pillars thereof, and their twenty sockets shall be of brass, the hooks of the pillars, and their fillets shall be of silver. And this word for pillar 
is the noun form of the verb to stand. Again, we, we appreciate it in English. What does a stand do? What does a stand, if you make the stand a noun, what does a stand do? A stand stands. And so you have here this word pillar. It, it simply is that word for stand. And it was a stand upon which was, was hung the, the curtains and the hangings. But when the people of God would come to the tabernacle, when they came to the house of God, they would realize that there are these pillars that are holding up the curtains, holding up the hangings of the court. But as they would look upon those hangings and look upon those pillars, they would have in their minds the Hebrew word, the noun, from which the verb comes to stand. And so when they then come to the book of Psalms and they sing of men standing in the house of God, they have a correlation of thought that perhaps we don't have. And so in this picture form, God is showing his people that those who stand in his presence, certain things are true of them. They are founded in brass. You have it there. Their sockets shall be of brass. It seems likely the brass picture here is a link to the brazen altar. Now, those who stand in God's presence, they have you like they've, they've been through the blessing of the sacrifice and the sacrifice being consumed for their sins. It's a link again in word and in the material used for the sockets. And the, the pillars are placed into these brazen sockets. Furthermore, the pillars were covered with the linen of verse number 9. They are covered from view. And thus the people of God, would, they would come. And they would come to the tabernacle, and from the outside, they would see curtains, linen, but not the pillar. And it seems to be the case, there's a picture again, a picture for us, that those who stand in the Lord's house, they are those who are founded in redemption, and stand clothed in linen, i.e. the linen of Christ's righteousness, which is the linen of the saints. I'm just simply reminding you, as you think about the office of the Levites, and then this picture language used for standing, in these two ways we see that our standing in worship is all of grace. One of the things that caused me to tremble is the brashness and the boldness of those in the modern worship scene who seem to forget that they have no personal right to stand in the house of God. They seem to have forgotten that God cares about how he's addressed. We must not forget. We must not forget that we stand in God's house because of redemption, because of sacrifice, and because we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. We do not deserve to worship God. If God would mark iniquities, who can stand? But we stand because of Christ's work. And immediately we stand with a realization that we are his servants under his command and we do not have the right to worship in whatever manner we choose. We must only worship in a manner that is consistent with who God is and the glory of the gospel. So that's something with the people who worship. In the second place, though, note the purpose of their worship. It is to bless the Lord. Behold, bless ye the Lord. 
Now, now what does this mean? Is it not God that blesses us? Verse 3 says, The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. Well, when you search through the Scriptures, the word bless is opposite to curse. Bless also speaks of being happy. Blessed is the man. The happiness that we enjoy in Christ and the gospel. Yet, to bless God is clearly a term for worship. Psalm 34. Please turn back uh, to Psalm 34. And the verse number 1. Again, you have here the, uh, the parallels of the Hebrew poetry. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And it's the word continually that shows that this is another form of the, of the parallel. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So the word to bless is again synonymous with the word to praise the Lord. And then turn to, to Psalm 96 and the verse number 1. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. And here I believe we have three terms uh, that are being used to describe the same thing. There is the act of singing, but that act of singing is an act whereby we bless the name of God by showing forth his salvation from day to day. So in our singing, we bless God, and in our singing, we are showing forth his salvation, and when we show forth his salvation, we are blessing his name. You see, the terms can be used in that interchangeable fashion. And then one last reference is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And the idea is, if, if we forget his benefits then we will not bless the Lord. But it is in the remembrance of his benefits that we then bless the Lord. And that's one, one commentator puts it this way. When God blesses us, he does well for us. When we bless God, we speak well of him. So when God blesses us, he does well for us. When we bless God, we speak well of him. And so the, the overlap of the word is not lost. Now, I appreciate the blessings are not the same. The word, again, varies according to who is acting. So the word means something different when we bless as when God blesses. But there is no difficulty here. We don't bless God by doing good to God. But we bless God by making him known. Our hearts delight in God and we bless God from our words. We receive his blessings, if you like, and we respond by making his blessings known. The purpose of our worship is to make much of the Lord. That is the purpose of our worship. It is to make God known. It is to extol his glory. It is to announce his salvation and make his deeds known to all who hear. The application is very, very straightforward. Our worship should never be primarily about our pleasure and our entertainment. The entertainment model of worship is fundamentally wrong. We are not in the house of God to be entertained. We are in the house of God to bless the name of God. And the focus of our worship, therefore, must be announcing God to others, speaking and singing well of God. There is a purpose of worship. There is, in the third place, the posture in our worship. 
Look what he says in verse number 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And here it seems that there's a very strong proof text for what takes place in the, in the modern worship scene. You go there, and again, I, I watch three or four different, uh, different worship events, and again, there are hands everywhere. You, you, can, you, can, you can count them, there's so many of them, but they're all there, and they're all lifted up. And today, we do associate the lifting of hands with the, with the charismatic churches. The, music, the usual pattern is that the music is repeating a particular line, or beats, and the people then close their eyes and lift their hands, usually they would say, in an expression of adoration of the Lord. But the lifting of hands in the Bible is more a posture of prayer than of praise. And that's something that must be appreciated. I'm not, I'm not dividing the two. I accept that there is praise here in verse number one, but then there's the exhortation to lift up your hands. And when you examine the scriptures and the references to lifting up of the hands, it's associated with humility and dependence upon God and the presenting of petitions. Let me just read to you some of the verses. The Psalm 141 and the verse number 2. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So their prayer and hands lifted up are synonymous. You've also got the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and the verse number 8, the men to lift up holy hands. But what are they doing? I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. So the expression of the lifting of the hands is an expression of prayer. And we see that most vividly in Nehemiah chapter 8 and the verse number 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so it seems that the posture in our worship is one that reflects a heart of humility and dependence and reverence. A sense of our absolute need of God to come and answer our prayers. Now, I do not believe we have any right to forbid the lifting of hands in worship. But like every single external posture in the Word of God, that posture must be a reflection of the right heart. The point I want to make is that our worship must be a humble confession of our absolute dependence on the Lord. Is that what we see in modern worship today? Do you get a sense of people who are feeling that absolute brokenness? Without God, they're nothing. And there is in the fourth place the persistence in our worship. Note it says in the psalm again regarding the night. Bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. This reference to night seems to correspond to words in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, the verse number 33, where it says here, And these are the singers, chief of the fathers of the Levites, who remaining in the chamber were free, for they were employed in that work day and night. So the expression of praise in the context of Old Testament worship, was morning and evening. 
The application seems to be that the Levites kept up their responsibilities as those that were ordained of God. They were commanded to keep worshiping God day and night. And I think the application could be that we should continue to worship God as God has commanded, even the times we don't feel like it. That our emotions should not govern when we worship. Rather, we worship on God's day as he has ordained, no matter how we feel. We are God's creatures. He is the Almighty. And the only right response is to worship, even on those occasions when we may not feel like it. And that leads to the last thing, which is the prayer out of our worship. So those who are engaged in worship here, the Levites, they then respond by offering this prayer. So as they reflect on the Lord, they then turn to desire God's blessing on others. Worship's not all about me. That, I think, is the spirit of the Levites here. It's not all about how I feel and how I'm enjoying it. But when we rightly worship the Lord, our understanding of God's grace, our understanding of God's glory, then in turn provokes within us a response that we then desire the well-being of others. And we then come to a point where we pray for God's blessing on others, having worshipped God. Right worship acknowledges God's willingness to bless with every spiritual blessing. We worship God. We extol God's grace and mercy and love. And then we have this ground to pray, bless thee. It's a prayer of faith. The Lord that made heaven and earth. What confidence there is in that. The Almighty God, the Creator God, He is the one who is not only willing, but He's able to bless. It's a prayer with a foundation. It is out of Zion. There's a recognition that God's blessings come through Calvary. A recognition that God's blessings come through the cross. That all blessings we enjoy, they're in Christ. It's out of Zion. The place where God is, the place where sacrifice is made. And there is the focus of this prayer in God's gracious blessing. The Lord bless thee out of Zion. Our discernment of worship must be based upon portions of Scripture like this one. God comes first. His glory is our chief concern. And we come in humble reverence, making much of God and little of ourselves. May God drive these things into your souls and that we rightly discern his will for the church today. Amen. May God bless his word. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.